Turn with me in your Bibles, if you would, to a couple scriptures. And I just want to talk here just for a couple minutes about the um, about running the race and possessing those things that God has given to us already. Let's just read Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. I'm reading from the New King James Version. Sorry. Please forgive me for not the King James, but by the way, there's two Bibles that we use the King James here, and if you can't get, if you're not understanding the, the King James, then get the New King James, which is, um, because those are the only two Bibles that I understand that have been translated from the Textus Receptus. Um, Textus Receptus and older Byzantine texts that really stay true to the original um, Bible that was written from the Aramaic, from the uh, Hebrew, and from the Greek. Uh, whereas uh, many of these newer translations, though you may not see it immediately, many newer translations today um, are translated from a, a newer text, which I won't get into this morning because it'll probably bore you. Two, two types of texts that have had Gnostic as well as uh, other heretical influences on it. So actually in some of these texts you'll notice that there are simple subtle changes in the way Jesus Christ is referred to, such as in one text he is named the servant of God instead of the son of God. That's really big because um, Islam looks at Jesus as a servant of God. So that's kind of a big thing. We don't really need, we're not King James only people here and we don't believe that King James uh, was, is, is inspired scripture as, as we, you know, as the original Bible was. Uh, the King James we have today is the word of God. But I just wanted to let, let you know that um, that's what we use here. And if God leads you to use something different, then great. But we're going to read from uh, the New King James this morning. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. And who are these witnesses? Angels, demons, those people that have gone on before us, before uh, have gone on to heaven. And sometimes God allows them to look through the crystal sea to be built up and encouraged by our lives of faith and grace. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. I am preparing my heart, it's probably you are, with your families for the new year. I'm not making resolutions. I never make resolutions because I think they're a waste of time. Uh, Some people make them, but um, I would rather look at the new year from a perspective of expectation from God instead of, my resolute determination and my own willpower to make something happen in my life. Willpower is no different than soul power. And soul power disconnected from the Holy Spirit and from the spiritual empowering through the Word of God is, is just fallible. And we're always going to fail in, in soul power, even though there's good intentions there. And so resolutions, I want to just, and Thursday night we're going to talk about this. We're going to talk about the resolutions that God has made to us. 
the unending resolutions that God has made to us, the unchanging, unconditional resolutions that God has made to us. And, and when we talk about that, we're going to be very, just by the, hopefully by the grace of God, we're going to be encouraged by that. So this year I'm looking at this verse here and I'm thinking, I have my expectations for 2015. And I'm writing them down because I want to be, like that's what the Bible tells us in Habakkuk chapter 2, write the vision on tablets of stone, meaning write it somewhere where it's not going to get deleted or erased. <laughs> we have tablets today and things get deleted, don't they? Get wiped out and Pastor Tony can attest to that, right? We can get, we, well, we want to write down the promises of God and our expectations. Like, God, this is what I'd like to see you do this year. This is what's really in my heart, my, my new heart that you gave to me from, through the Holy Spirit. This is what I want to see happen. And I can't do it, but I'm going to trust you and I'm going to look to you to make it happen. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 13, is the second verse I want to read. Brethren, I do not count myself to apprehended. And that's really the way we look at our Christian life, that at the end of 2014, I don't count myself have apprehended anything. I've attained to a certain level by the end of 2014. Because if, if that was my way of thinking, then I would, again, be living in, in fleshly energy that cannot glorify God. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 3, the flesh cannot please God. The flesh just cannot please God, no matter how hard we try. I have not, I have, I count myself not to apprehend it, but one thing I do, I like this, one thing. For us simple people that just need to boil everything down to the bottom line, how many people do we have like that here? Just give me the bottom line. What's the, what's the, give me the, you know, I don't want to know what all the taxes and everything in the chat. What's the bottom number there? And Paul's talking to us here. But one thing I do, he said, forgetting those things which are behind me in 2014 and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. Is that awesome? I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call. Now, all of us King James people would like to say, what about the higher call? The high if you look at this in the Greek, this is a good translation, the upward call. We're being called upwards and onwards. The upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Then the third verse I want to read is Isaiah 30, verse 18. Isaiah 30, verse 18. Therefore the Lord will wait. Now think about this. Just put your name in this verse. Therefore the Lord will wait that he may be gracious to you. What's God waiting around for up in heaven? Till I fail, till you fail, till we mess up, till we do something wrong. No, God is waiting to pour out, like we heard from Ron. Pour, he wants to pour, open the windows of heaven in our life and pour out a grace blessing that can only come by grace. You know, holidays are really interesting times because all the worst and all the best of families come out, doesn't it? <laughs> all the best of your family is going to come out and all the worst is going to come out. You're going to be like, oh my gosh, what was I born into? And it just, I think there's a lot of warfare around the holidays. And that's because it's a big holiday. It's the greatest theological event that's happened in human history. Christ in the form, God in the form of man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, God waits to be gracious to us. And therefore, therefore, and therefore he will be exalted. Now think of that verse there. When is God exalted and glorified in your life? When we receive his grace. So I, I, I remember there was a lady in our church who had a Catholic background in Ukraine, and she was an older woman, and she just could not receive anything from anybody. She goes, I, she, 
grew up with this work mentality that i got to work for it, no handouts. God gets exalted when we receive those things that he has for us by grace. We say, yes, God, okay, I'm going to have to humble myself. Okay, God, and I just, and then God's exalted. That he may have mercy on you, for the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are those who wait for him. Waiting is a word in the Greek, I mean, in the original language here that can be translated like this. Blessed are those that have expectations on him. Looking at 2015, what are our expectations? I want to challenge you between now and Thursday night, uh, Wednesday night, write down a list of expectations. Get a notebook, a 2015 notebook, and uh, just get that. I'm, I'm, my wife and I are moving back to writing things now. We're going back to writing things instead of all digital stuff. Because what was it, honey? 10,000 things happen when you write. 10, 10 million what? 10 million processes happen in your brain when you write it down, right? That don't happen when you type. So, my Christmas present to everybody in this church is going to be a pen. <laughs> what is the sin that so easily ensnares us here in Hebrews chapter 12? I mean, when we talk about these things, we could look at ourselves and say, well, you know, there's probably 20 of those in my life. But there's one, and I think that the greatest sin that ensnares the advancing of us into the promises of God in 2015 is looking back. How many of you have ever tried to drive looking in your rearview mirror, rear mirror? I swear there's some people that never look in their rearview mirror. They're in the passing lane, and they're not, they're not even moving. They're doing 30 miles an hour, and there's like three mirrors. And, uh, but when we look back, we're committing a sin. We're missing the mark. And this is the great sin of Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. That sin that so easily ensnares us. When you have a runner running, and he's not looking in front of him, and he's looking too far ahead into the future or too far back, he's going to get ensnared in his life. And there are seven things I want to talk about in a minute that, that ensnare us, that put us in a place where we don't advance into God's plan that is so, so graciously awaiting for us to, to, for us to possess. You know, if you look at a baby, a young boy or a young girl, growth is natural, isn't it? Growth is something that happens naturally. That's the same thing with you and I. We have inside of us the Holy Spirit. And if that Spirit, if we're in tune with the Word of God and the Holy Spirit of grace, then what's going to happen in our life? We're going to grow. We're going to grow. We're going to experience victory eventually. Eventually we will. And when we look at our church, you know, today there's this huge church, church growth movement. I think many of us have seen it. And it's where there's a lot of, like, a lot of energy that's put into, uh, put into it for growth. Like, and even there have been movements and books written about church growth. But you know something... Healthy people and healthy church bodies grow on two levels, individually and corporately. If we're walking with God in grace with expectations from Him that He's going to fulfill them and not me, as we heard in the offering, then we're going to see growth. We're going to grow. And I, I'm the kind of person that, and I think all of us are like that, that we're just not, we're not, we're not satisfied with the status quo. Because if you remember that crazy tale by that, um, narc uh, that that drug addict that wrote the book um, 
Alice in Wonderland? How many of you have read that book? Whenever Alice was not running forward, she, when she would stop, this is the only thing I remember from the book, she would be moving backwards, right? That's the way we want to be thinking about the next year, looking forward in expectations on the, on the promises of God. See, God's people don't take possession of those things that God has given them for a few reasons. And I want, to start, I want to read Numbers 13, verse 30 to you. We're going to go back to the Old Testament, and we're going to look at a, at a, case, as a case example of how God's people, with a direct promise from God from the heavens on the mountains, uh, uh, through God's man, through Moses, do not possess them because of several reasons. Let me just read it to you here. And Caleb stilled the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and possess it, talking about the promised land. They had just sent 10 spies into the promised land to check it out. Now, I've heard, and I, I wonder why Moses sent the 10 spies. That's just a question in my mind. Why did he do that? When I get to heaven, it's one of the questions I'm going to ask Moses when I meet him. Why did you send 10 spies when God already gave you the land? Why analyze something and, 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 and pick it apart and give an opportunity for people to get uh, intimidated by something that they can't possess until God daily gives them a capacity through grace to possess it. Moses, why did you do that? So he sends 10 spies. They come back. Two of them have a good report. The other, the other 10 don't. And Caleb says this, let us go up at once and possess it, for we are well able to overcome it. But the men that, were, that went up with them said, but we are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. Are they telling the truth? Yes, they are telling the truth. When you look at 2015, you can say, I'm not able. I can't handle this, I can't handle this year. I have no idea what's coming. And what I, the little that I can see coming, there's no way I'm not going to be able to handle this. So there's, what they're saying is, it's fact, but it's not truth. And we have to, we have to separate the, 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 the meaning of those two. Because not all fact is truth. Fact is fact, right? But there's truth that is greater than fact. And the facts here are that they are greater than us. Those things that are awaiting us in the promised land are greater than us. But the truth of it is, is that we are more than able through Christ who strengthens us. But the men that went up, they complained. They said that we, can't, they, we cannot go up. They are stronger than us. And they brought up an evil report of the land which they had searched. An evil report. Well, isn't that God a kind of a strong word to be using here? It is an evil thing. Because whenever we live in negativity and whenever we live in self-analysis and we live in our own perspective of things, we're partaking of a system that is deviant from God's economy of grace. I remember when I was in Bible school, I worked all summer. I was 18 years old and um, paid my bills, and then I had 50 bucks in my pocket. And I was like, okay, I'm just going to go to Bible school. So I went to Bible school with 50 bucks in my pocket, landed there in Lenox, and I remember no job. got settled in the dorm where I was going to stay with the guys and uh, started job hunting. And I couldn't find a job, and I was running out of money really quick. And I thought, you know, you know, the dorm, you know, the, the, my bills are starting to uh, come up. And if I don't get something by October 1st, I don't know what I'm going to do. I, I made the mistake by giving God a deadline. Okay, God, if you don't come through by October 1st, I, I'm going to just go back home. And so 
it was getting right back, it was getting right to that time where, you know, the end of September, and, and the registrar pulled me in, you know, he, he called me into his office, and he goes, you know, what, what's, what's happening, and, and he goes, well, I can't find a job, I don't know, I'm just thinking about going home, <laughs> the registrar, you know, spirit-filled guy, he goes like this, he goes, because that's negativity, what are you talking about, said, God call you here or not? And I, I said, oh, okay. And, it was, you know, and he said, did God call you? Yes, he did. Well, God's going to give you the job. And don't live in negativity about your calling because God brought you. And he gave me this whole, I left the room. I was like, you know, four feet off the ground. I was so, I was like, my gosh, I'm going to need a job. So I walked, I got a job at a, at a tea room, little New England tea room where they made shortbread. And, and I was a dishwasher. You know, and I was there, and God just. Then, in a few months, I was working on staff in the kitchen crew. It's because we learned in Bible college how to get on our knees, and like not let go of God until we heard God speak to us. Some of us, we just like, well, I don't know. I prayed three times, and God didn't answer. I'm just going to go eat a sandwich. It's like sometimes the Lord asks us. He said, "How much do you want this?" I think that there are some things in our life that that God wants to give us, but we're a little indifferent about it. It's like we hear Pastor Schaller always gives this illustration of the, of the boyfriend, a man that is interested in a girl and approaches her with a rose, you know, and she just kind of says, well, whatever, just kind of takes it and walks away. There's like no passion there. There's no love. When we look at God and we look at his grace and his plan and his and his promises. There's something that stirs up inside of us that creates capacity. And what happens is, is that we begin to think in truth instead of circumstantial fact. There's seven reasons why. And you know, by the way, Romans, uh, Numbers 14, the next chapter after, after Numbers 13, verse 30, guess what? 600,000 people die in the wilderness. They never make it to the promised land. Because they accepted the evil report of the ten spies who said, we can't do it. And although it was fact, it was evil because it wasn't God's perspective from his word. And I just want us to think about that. That's a point here I want us to take home. Is that there's a perspective in the world that is soaked with evil. And then there's God's perspective, divine perspective, eternal perspective, that builds us up and gives us an inheritance in our lives in Acts 20, verse 32. Only two men... Only two men out of the, out of the approximately uh, 100, uh, the 1 million plus people that left Egypt, only two men, adults, make it into the promised land. And who are they? Caleb and Joshua. Yeah, yeah. You're, you're, are you thinking here that there's a, yes, that we are a minority. Thinking we've got, we are, and if you find yourself a minority in your family, in your job, in your workplace, and where you're at, that's okay, because to think with God by faith is not a popular thing. There's seven reasons why I think many, many of us don't, don't, uh, possess, don't ever possess those things that God has waiting for us. Number one, lack of information. What does that mean? Well, we never, we're, never, we're not in the Word. Like when we're in the Word, we're getting information about those things that God has blessed us with. Paul, Peter said this, God has blessed us with all spiritual blessings. And this is not a name it, claim it, success message here. I'm just saying that there are things that God has laid out for you with your name on it. 
And you say, well, I'm not that, I'm past that age, you know, I'm, I, I don't know, you know, I'm not. Well, how old was Caleb? How old was Caleb when he went into the promised land? How old was Joshua? It's like some of the greatest men and women of God in the Bible were not young people. Caleb was 80 plus years old, wasn't he? 80. <laughs> this is not before the flood. This is after the flood when people were living only till 120. Number one, lack of information. People are not, we're not informed about what the word is. That's why we have a little Bible school here. That's why we have words-centered ministry. Number two, they may have the right information, but they're limited in the way they believe it. They just don't, they say, well, I got the right information, but just thinking, well, I don't know if I want to believe that. Number three, lack of preparation. I think this is a big one, lack of preparation. You know, when, when before the Israelites or the Hebrews were going to be brought across the Jordan, what did God say to the Israelites, to the Hebrews? He said, prepare yourself, sanctify yourself, prepare yourself. What was it, two days or something like that? Because I will do wonders among you. And the Ark of the Covenant with the priests went forward a great distance. They could hardly see it, but it, was, it went ahead of them preparation, preparing our hearts, like, God, I want to prepare myself. I want to, I want to just, um, I want to cut certain things off in my life because I want to prepare, I want to be prepared as a vessel to receive things. And that's why we hate sin, because we love ourselves too much to be destroyed by sin. Do you know that? When you and I begin to understand how much God loves us and who we are, we look at sin, we're like, that is disgusting. <clears throat> that's horrible. Like, that's going to kill me. That's a parasite. My, that's sucking the life out of me. That's like killing me. <clears throat> right? <clears throat> that's why we want to live in preparation and personal sanctification. Like, God, I just want to hear from you in my life. I want to, uh, Billy Graham, before he began his ministry, <clears throat> went to a hotel room and for three days by himself just prayed there. Didn't talk to anybody. He was just there by himself. I'm not saying you have to do that, but <clears throat> he prepared himself before the Lord. Paul went out to the desert for three years. God prepared him. Moses, 40 years. Jesus, 30 years. Let's not get discouraged. Lack of preparation is, a num is number three. Number four, here's a big one right here, and we all can identify with it. Fear. Fear. I, I think that there are, and I I'm not as up on sports as I'd like to be, but I think that there are certain teams out there that have amazing talent, and they're, you know, they got all the ingredients of an awesome team, but they're, in their minds, they're limited that they get, they get, you know, they're approaching the playoffs, or they get to the playoffs, and they're like, they shut down because they are afraid to succeed, to win. They're afraid to win. Why? Because maybe their upbringing, well, I was always, I, was, I had this upbringing, and I can't, you know, I can't think, you know, I can't imagine my, how would I, what would people say? Or they live in fear. They fear like, well, if I, you know, if we go into the promised lands, these guys are bigger than us, and how are we going to take care of everything? And fear is a big one. Number five, <clears throat> here's another thing: self-occupation. Just self-analyzing yourself too much. I'm not worthy to go and be blessed by God. Well, guess what? <laughs> is any of us worthy to be blessed by God? Has any one of us? qualified for the great blessings of God in our life? No, we haven't. None of us are worthy. And so don't live in self-occupation. Don't live in occupied with yourself and analyzing yourself and, 
and improving yourself to this point where you can be blessed. Number six, other people. And I was preparing this message, and I remember seeing a, uh, I love animal shows. I, like, I love animal shows about animals and what they do. And there was this one thing about uh, these guys that go out and fish for crabs. And when they were fishing for crabs, the, the boxes that they would put the crabs in weren't really covered very well. And I thought, well, can't crabs just crawl out? And what happens is, is that some of these crabs, that when they start crawling out, other crabs below them grab them and pull them down. <laughs> other people will do that to you. Well, here's an example. What do you mean you're, gonna, you're going to church and you're not living the way you used to live? What do you talk, you know, who do you think you are? Some holy saint now? Some, you know, we all know who you really are. And then you can feel the leg, you know, on your leg as you're climbing out of that box of bondage. You can feel other people maybe pulling you down by, by their expectations. Because you know what? How can I say this? Um, carnal people like, car like company. Carnality likes company. <laughs> Unbelief wants, wants company. They want, they want other people that think this way. We just can't let other people, don't let people pull you down. You know, sometimes it's, it, you know, sometimes it's hard to do this, but sometimes we have to say goodbye. Like Abraham had to say goodbye to Lot. Sometimes we have to say goodbye to somebody and say, you know something, you're awesome, you're part of God's plan, I love you, you know, you are, but I, I got to move forward in my life. Because what's happening here is, is I'm not helping you anymore. I'm actually replacing God in your life. And we want to help people. And I, sometimes I think of this, because I'm a person that likes to help, and I like to think that. I don't know. But and sometimes we're at a place where we actually are replacing God in people's life. We're, we're, replacing, we're, we're replacing God. Do you know what I'm saying? Uh, I'm just going to not use the mic. Um, so this is a big point here, is that be careful that you don't replace God in people's lives. You just got to say, you know what? I've done what I can, and now I'm, like Paul had to do this with the churches that he planted in Acts 20, verse 32. Paul planted churches, and then he had to say, I commend you to the word of his grace. And he said, I'm going to commend you. I'm committing you to the word of God's grace. I'm going to come and visit you. I'm going to keep writing letters to you. I'm going to love you. I'm going to encourage you. But it's time where I'm going to now give you over to God. And we have to do that with our kids, with our grandkids. We have to do that sometimes with people that we really love because sometimes people want to keep you. And they don't do it, actually. They don't do it. I mean, people don't do this. They don't do this intentionally. And then lastly, number four, I'm uh, number seven, poor personal vision. No personal vision. And I... And we were talking about this at our house the other night. We had some folks come over, and we were talking about personal vision. And um, what is your personal mission statement? You know how companies have their mission statement? Somebody said to me one time, what's the mission statement of your church? And I went on this long thing, and they said, if you can't tell me in 30 minutes, you may not even know yourself. <laughs> what is your personal mission statement? Can I say it in 30 minutes? I, I mean, 30 seconds. I can say it in 30 minutes, but 30 seconds. And that would be, I want to live for Christ. I'm, I'm not going to give it to you right now, but it, uh, what is your personal mission statement and what is your personal expectations from God? And I want to just finish with this, that 
there's two places where we, there are, there are two environments, two different environments where we can possess those things that God has given us. Two places. Um, look at Ob- Obadiah chapter 1 verse 17. And I gave this verse to somebody recently as a birthday verse. And they're like, what does that verse mean? You know, it's Ob- Obadiah chapter, uh, chapter 1 verse 17. And it says this, that on Mount Zion there shall be deliverance and there shall be holiness. The house of Jacob shall possess their possessions. Now what does that mean? Well, let's take this apart for a minute. What does the Mount Zion mean in the Bible? Mount Zion always refers to the body of Christ, the church. Whenever you see the word Zion, just think, oh, it's talking about the Old Testament symbol of the church. So Jacob, which is God's people, which is us today, the church, shall possess his possessions on Mount Zion. In Zion, in the church, in the body of Christ, in this assembly, in, in our midst, there is deliverance, isn't there? We walk through those doors, we sing worship, we, hear, we, we listen to the message, and we have awesome food afterwards. We're delivered, aren't we? We're delivered. And number two, we experience holiness. When I'm in church, I'm not thinking about living in sin. And so the house of Jacob possesses, in the church is where we begin to possess those things that God has for us. When we're in the body of Christ, we find our place as a member in particular. We begin to possess those things that God has for us as a church, as a church. As a church, we move forward and we possess those things that God gives us. And I really believe as a church that in some way, God wants to, wants to use us as a venue to bless this community with the grace of God and with, not just on a humanitarian level, but with the gospel and people's marriages and their families. And in the second place that we experience possessing our possessions is Luke 21 verse 19. It says this, Jesus says this in the, uh, in near the end of the book of Luke, possess your souls through patience. Let's read the verse. By your patience, possess your souls. What does that mean? Well, it reminds us of that verse that says that in book of Mark where chapter 8 verse 36 where we can lose our souls. What does it mean to possess your soul and to lose your soul? Well, we possess our soul through patience, meaning that there are circumstances that God had to bring Israel into as they possessed the land to do the same, at the same time to possess their own souls. Because if they're not possessing their own soul, then what will happen is that they're going to live in just fear and they're going to live in unbridled um, desires and passions Possessing our soul means that we learn how to bring ourselves to subjection of the Word of God and to the nature of God. We are giving ourselves to God. We begin, to, we begin in a place where that through situations that work patience in us, we begin to live outside of reaction and, and, and uh, foolishness and anger, but we begin to live in expectation and peace of heart and wisdom where and that's possessing our souls. And that's what the world today is trying to do. They're trying to possess themselves because they feel that they're losing their lives. They're losing something. Every day, every decade that goes by, people feel like I'm losing something. And this is how we possess our souls. We possess it through patience. Luke 21, verse 19. I want to close with this, that Jesus is our Joshua. 
Jesus is leading us. Jesus will lead you. It's not up to you to try to conquer the land yourself. Jesus will lead us. The word will lead us. Be in agreement with Jesus Christ in our lives. Be in agreement with the Holy Spirit. Be in agreement with the word of God, with God's plan, the Father, who, who, who made the... Be, when we're in agreement with that, then we begin to move forward following him, and he leads us. He's our great captain, our great, our great leader and great hero. And when we follow him, we're going to be amazed at the, this time next year, you know, we're going to be amazed what God does. <laughs> we really are. And, and uh, Thursday and I want to talk a little bit about it, and I just want to share with you some things that are on, our, on my heart and maybe on your hearts too, but like what we could see God do. Because what is impossible for man is possible with God. And is God's hand shortened that he cannot save many? God has this land promised for us. Victories externally and internally. And we need to go into battle and let Jesus battle. Do those battles. And just follow him and not grieve the Holy Spirit. But just to be embedded in the body of Christ and to move forward and see God move. I, I really believe that God's going to do some wonderful things. And he is. He's already done some great things this year. We've really seen some, some great reconciliations. We've seen some great progress. We've seen some great, um, great difficulties. Uh, we've seen some tears. We've seen some joy. But I think 2015, God gave me this verse, um, uh, fear not, only believe. That's my theme. That's we put it on the bulletin this morning. Fear not, but only believe. So let's move forward in trusting God and Allow him to lead us into victory. Don't be afraid. Don't get involved with any of the seven things I mentioned. Don't get upset with yourself. Don't, we're going we're gonna to fall down sometimes, but the, the winner always gets up and runs, doesn't he? He always moves forward and doesn't quit. Amen? So let's close in prayer.